his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. It is a Saturday evening, 6.09, a very pleasant 67 degrees. Uh, Esme Murphy here. We have a great show lined up for you. And it's great to be uh, here in the studios, uh, feeling very pleasant out, out uh, this evening. I actually went with my son to Arizona to look at colleges, and it's really hot down there. <laughs> it was in the uh, upper 90s, and as, as they like to say down there, it's a dry heat. But gosh, it felt awfully pleasant to come back here and then to you know have the plane come down. You could see the leaves changing. And, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful state, wonderful people. I was really impressed how nice everyone was. Every time I whipped out a map, somebody would come by and say, hey, can I help you? But, uh, it is great to be back, uh, in the wonderful state of Minnesota and the Twin Cities, and it feels awfully pleasant outside. Oh, folks, we do have a great show lined up for you. Um, later on in this half hour, uh, we're going to chat with uh, a gentleman who has really been helpful in helping me sort out some of the very big issues and stories involving immigration. His name is Esteban Rivera. He is an immigration attorney, uh, and he really has been incredibly helpful. He's got many, many clients uh, that he's working to help in terms of both the, the changing news on DACA, the DREAMer Act, and also the travel ban, which continues to evolve and definitely affects so many here in the Twin Cities. And then uh, in our next half hour for this hour, we're going to chat with uh, Chris Newcomer and Elizabeth Hayes. They are with the Firefly Sisterhood. And this was kind of really cool. I, I actually found this idea when uh, I was filling in on the 9 a.m. show at WCCO Television. It's a very fun show anchored by Jason DeRussia and Kylie Burse. And they had uh, these women on and what they do is they kind of – it's a volunteer group that pairs people up who are have just been diagnosed with breast cancer with a survivor. And so the, the, the volunteer can say, hey, you're, you're about to start this kind of chemotherapy. I've been there. I've done that. And they try and pair them up by age. Let's say somebody who's younger perhaps has some kids just so that they can go through the experiences together and, and sort of mentor the other person through the process. And I just thought that was such a, an incredible idea and, and they did a wonderful job, Jason and Kylie, interviewing these women. And I thought, you know, I need to do that on the radio. And uh, we are going to have a great 7 o'clock hour as well. Um, we're going to talk with an expert on internet addiction. Think about that. Uh, there's a lot. It's a growing problem for many, many people. Uh, we're going to talk to somebody about how to identify it, how people should kind of handle it. When are the warning? What are the warning signs? When do you know if you have a problem or somebody you love has a problem? Uh, we're also going to visit with the author of the Lincoln Dell Cookbook. People of a certain age will remember that fabulous restaurant. There was one right uh, near where I used to live, um, right in St. Louis Park. And Dave Schultz at eight o'clock. So, folks, keep it right here. You are listening to News Radio eight three zero WCCO. When we come back. Estevan Rivera and, and the latest in the shifting situations with DACA, the Dreamer Act, and also the travel ban. It is a very pleasant 66 degrees out there, uh, 615 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. 
Well, one of the uh, big stories of the year really has been the shifting policies of the Trump administration, both on DACA, that's the DREAMer Act, the act that was put into place by President Obama to protect those uh, people who are individuals who came to this country illegally before the age of 16. And the, the president has had different and shifting positions on this. It's created a great deal of confusion and uncertainty. Uh, people have had to register again for the status uh, and also the shifting positions on the travel ban. And somebody I've turned to a number of times to help me is a prominent local immigration attorney, Esteban Rivera. And Esteban is joining us now. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Once again. Absolutely. And Esteban, I do want to ask you, um, first of all, in terms of DACA, what is the status right now? Because the president has, has said that he, you know, he's been back and forth on this right now. And I know a lot of people were facing a deadline uh, in having to sort of reapply for the status. Yes, that's true. So what's happening now is the president said people were able to renew file DACA for people who already had the status until October 5th. But only if your status was about to expire or set to expire by March 5th of 2018. So that's why it's known the deadline for Congress to act on this and to pass, you know, a Dream Act or something similar to that. No. And, and has this, has this that, created a lot of confusion, though, and uncertainty about what's really going on? Yes, for sure. For a lot of people, I have a lot of clients who have DACA, who have been in this country for over 20 years, who went to high school, had this DACA for five years, and worked in big companies in Minnesota, like Cargill, Target, Boston Scientific. And I have one that his status is going to expire in May of 2018, and at this point, we don't know if he's going to be able to resign. And if Congress doesn't pass the law, he will not be able to work. And, you know, what is very troublesome is Secretary Kelly said, if nothing happens by March 5th, 2018, people should get ready to leave and pack. So, you know, the administration is very, very... Wow. Okay. A lot of fear in the community. Right. So, so even though the president has supported, a, you know, a renewed DACA and said that, the fact that it it sounds like it's still very much up in the air. What happens to these people? Correct. Yeah. If if Congress doesn't act by March fifth of twenty eighteen, the only possibility is that President Trump will go back and eliminate the 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 action that he took. Eliminate DACA. Right. So, and this is eight hundred thousand people, uh, and I think I think the estimate here is is it three thousand here? I hear sixty thousand. Okay, all right. So it's, it's more than I that. Three thousand. Three thousand were the people who you know the people thought that they need to renew. So three thousand were so six hundred thousand in total in the United States. About sixty thousand in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. Sorry, and three thousand of those were in this window that needed to renew because their DACA was going to expire in, until March first, March fifth of twenty eighteen. And how how long when you have DACA and you've got to keep renewing it? How long does it last for? It's because it's not permanent. Is that right? Yeah, it's two years. So people, this started in two thousand twelve. So people first 
qualified in 2012, they qualify at the time, and then in 2014 they renew it, and then 2016, it depends when people apply, but it's every two years. Got it. And, and what, explain what this allows people to do. So what it gives you is a work permit, a work authorization card, and with that work authorization card, these people can obtain a social security, and also a driver's license. For example, in Minnesota, people who are undocumented and not obtain a driver's license, and that creates a problem not only for them, but for the other people who are driving because they cannot get insurance, and it's very problematic. Some other states, like for example, Illinois, they have laws that allow people, undocumented people, to have driver's license, and then you eliminate this problem not only for them, but for all the other people who are driving in the right. the roads. And, and I know that there are some, even some Republican legislators in, in southern Minnesota who are backing some form of legal driver's license for yeah. undocumented workers for exactly that reason, because A, they'd have to go through the same kinds of training and, and pass the same kind of tests that all of us do. And they'd also have, have insurance, which if they do get into an accident, that helps with everybody. Um, Correct. But, but exactly. That, that's sort of a uh, yeah. That, that's sort of another debate. But but let me ask you also about um, the travel ban because this has been very confusing uh, for people who have been following this. I can't imagine what it's like for people who are affected by it. But the latest version of the tra- travel ban once again does fe- affect uh, many many people, including uh, many uh, a very large community here in the Twin Cities of Somali Americans and and their relatives and people who are in Somalia. What What is your take on the latest version of this travel ban? I think it's more of the same. You know, he added two countries to try to avoid the constitutional grounds that Hawaii, for example, had. Because he added Venezuela, he added North Korea, so now he's claiming that it's not a Muslim travel ban. Because one of the biggest arguments that the ACLU had and other states that you know, brought suit against the travel ban, said that, you know, if he is discriminating against religion and national origin. So now adding Venezuela and North Korea, he's saying it's not a Muslim ban because Venezuela and North Korea are not Muslim countries. But everybody knows that she's just doing this to avoid these constitutional claims. In other words, the addition of, of Venezuela, some some Venezuelans, obviously, uh, a, a, largely, a largely Catholic country, and then you've got uh, North Korea, which is not a Muslim country, but there, I mean, I think we all know there are very few people coming from North Korea into the United States. It's uh, almost non-existent. So I think the inclusion of North Korea has raised a lot of eyebrows as well. Uh, but in terms of um, the actual ramifications for people who are traveling uh, you know, or might have relatives back in the, um, you know, in, in Somalia or that part of the world, um, it sounds like it still directly affects them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the last ban that already is in effect had this quote-unquote solution that if people were able to show that they have significant, significant ties with the U.S., they were going to be able to enter. But that only created more problems because people, when the people enter the country, they need to go to secondary inspection, and it's impossible to analyze if they have significant contacts with the United States. But immigration lawyers, we put packets, for example, waivers into this, uh, this finding of ties to the United States. But 
for me, for an attorney, it will take me two, three months to put together a packet, and it will be hundreds of pages to show this. So it's impossible to analyze this in the airport when people are coming. So it just doesn't make any sense. Um, in terms of um, going back to DACA, what are you advising clients who have the DACA status? So the people who are able to renew, meaning that their DACA is set to expire prior to in March 5th of 2018, I advise them to renew them. And I have several clients who were lucky enough that their DACA were within a time period, and I filed it before October 5th. Uh, for people who I have one client that it appeared that the person will qualify, but uh, because all of these talks that the people will be removed, I advise not to file it until the determination was made. And the client agreed with that, and you know we explore all the solutions. And then at the end, you know, they were glad that they didn't file because now they are kind of in limbo. They don't know what's going to happen. And with my clients, but the data is set to start after March 5th of 2018, you know, I just tell them, keep watching the news and hope for the for, way, hope for Congress to make a change and to hopefully enact the Dream Act. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then um, in terms of um, the people who come to you, um, in terms of the travel ban, what are some of the more difficult situations that you've seen that people have had to face? who have been waiting in refugee camps for years, and they were set to come to the United States in the next few weeks. And then, you know, the family, and families were very excited about their relatives coming, and then the travel ban passed, and then they couldn't come. So they have to wait for 120 days, and they are still waiting. And they are elders, elders, grandparents, and their kids waiting, who have lived in refugee camps and who have been in line to come to the United States for years. Those are one of the most difficult parts that I have experienced. Also, people who were attending the University of Minnesota, people who were pursuing a PhD, people who were pursuing a medical, medical school, were not able to enter the country, were delayed. At the end, some of them were able to enter, but it caused a lot of problems and a lot of money for a lot of people. All right. Well, listen, um, Esteban Rivera, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, that was Esteban Rivera. He's a noted immigration attorney. Sorry, folks, for the, the quality of that audio there. Sometimes different phones uh, don't work as well uh, in terms of the modulating of the voice. So uh, anyway, uh, great to have him on. I uh, just want to let you know we've got a lot going on here. Um, coming up, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a, a neat, neat program. And I think it's one – and I'm going to ask these ladies – if this is something that is modeled on uh, any other programs that help those who are suffering from cancers or, or different ailments, but this is aimed at uh, breast cancer specifically, uh, it's called the Firefly Sisterhood, and they pair up uh, a breast cancer survivor with somebody who's newly diagnosed. And uh, when you think about it, it's somebody who can help them walk it, walk you through about what's going to happen and, and know the ups and the downs and you know where you might go and how you're going to feel and how can you deal with it or how can you deal with the holidays or, or grown children or maybe you still have you know young children. I, I just thought it was a really, really cool program when I heard about it and I think um, these folks will shed some light on it but it's, it's one that you think 
gosh, you know, that, that could benefit an awful lot of people because if you've got that kind of an ailment and if you've got, you know, or a different form of cancer, I mean, I wonder if there are programs out there that can help in that regard as well. So we'll, we'll find out that answer as well. And then uh, at 7.08 after the news break, I will be joined by Tatiana Jordan. She's the chief parenting officer of Bark, uh, and she is going to talk to us about Internet addiction, something that a lot of people are increasingly concerned about, not just with kids, but also with adults as well. So keep it right here, folks. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 6.33 in the Twin Cities. As my Murphy with you until 9 o'clock, along with studio coordinator Kevin Reed. Uh, well, this past week... Wednesday, uh, I was uh, on the 9 a.m. show at WCCO-TV, which is a fun show anchored by Jason DeRussia and Kylie Burse. And they had a great interview with uh, two women who are with the Firefly Sisterhood. And I listened to the interview and I thought, that this is really cool. I want to do this for radio because I think a lot of people need to know about this organization. And I also think it could really serve as a model uh, of providing help and assist- assistance and guidance for perhaps other ailments. This is focused uh, right now around breast cancer. Uh, joining us uh, from the Firefly Sisterhood is Chris Newcomer. She's the executive director. And Elizabeth Hayes, she's the user of services, and she comes back to volunteer at Firefly. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you. Me. All right. Well, Chris, why don't we start? And am I saying your name correctly? Is it Newcomer? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Um, Chris, why don't you tell us um, what exactly is the Firefly Sisterhood? It's a peer mentoring program for women who uh, really are in any stage of their breast cancer experience. We, from the day you're diagnosed through active treatment and beyond, we have women coming back to us a year out and saying, hey, I'm not done yet and I need somebody to talk to. So it's really peer, peer mentoring. Right. And, and um, let me ask you, Chris, how, how did this, who came up with this idea? Was this you? And, and why did you come up with it? Well, I actually am the founding executive director. The, the idea came from some research that YoPlay from General Mills had been doing around what was missing in breast cancer. And really, this peer mentoring was missing, yet the research was starting to show how important it was. So they gave us some startup funds and we took off. All right. And uh, and are you a survivor as well? I am not. I will tell you, when I was asked to sort of take this on, my sister-in-law had just had her double mastectomy. So it hit pretty close to home. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's talk about, uh, Elizabeth, um, talk about your experience and how did you sort of first hear of Firefly? Sure. I was diagnosed with breast cancer right before Christmas. And I had a question about Christmas, Christmas of um... Christmas of 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And I had a question about reconstruction and asked my care coordinator who gave me Firefly Sisterhood's contact information. And so I contacted Firefly Sisterhood, had a wonderful conversation with Jenny, the program manager, and felt instantly cared for uh, when she assured me that they would find me a match that could help me talk to a woman about reconstruction. And I was matched with a guide who had just a wonderful sense of humor and could answer the questions that I needed to help solidify my decision 
right before my surgery. So I just had a wonderful experience right from the start. I knew I wanted to be a part of the program. And and Elizabeth, what did it mean? Because I'm sure you have wonderful doctors. um, You've got, you know, I'm sure a a supportive family. What did it mean to be able to really talk to somebody who'd been there? You know, that is a great question. For me, just that instant of talking to someone who had walked my path was so powerful. Um, She just knew from the beginning what I was going through. And it just, it was like an instant connection. Even though I did have, you know, the very supportive family and friends, it's just so much more powerful when somebody has been in in your shoes and can tell you what to expect prior to surgery, uh, what you can expect in terms of even how to handle the support you're receiving. It was very, very meaningful for me. Um, let me ask you, Chris, um, what, how do you decide, um, first of all, how, how does somebody, um, get in touch with Firefly? You know, the two ways, the best, easiest way for us on our end is to go to our website and there's a big, huge orange button right on the homepage that says get support. And it, it drops into, we only ask three questions at that point. We need your name, your phone number, and your email, and it drops into, um, our system and we get a notification within a minute that you are requesting support. And we have a rule that we'll get back to you within 24 hours telling you that, yes, we got your request. We need to set up a time to talk. Um, And then we do an intake interview for someone. So we know what their, what their experience is and what they're looking for. Because sometimes what they think they're looking for really isn't what they they're looking for. So it takes about an hour and then we, kind of go into our system and pull up some up some people that might work. All right. And, and let me ask you, first of all, is there any cost for this? Nope. Okay, so it's free. Now, let me ask you this. So somebody calls in. Now, we, we have a, a very large listening audience that goes way, way, way up, you know, throughout Minnesota into other states and, and regions. Is all of this over the phone or is it in person? Because I imagine that there's some people wondering, well, gee, I'd love to take advantage of this, but I live in Bemidji. Right. Well, first of all, we do serve the whole state of Minnesota. We serve Western Wisconsin. We actually will talk to anybody who calls. We never want to be that that system that says, oh, go call this person, or we don't serve you. We'll always try to answer your call. Um, a lot of, we just did an evaluation about 50% of our, what we call matches, actually meet in person. Um, some, most of it's by the, over the phone. Some of it's email. We've even had one whole match that went through text. So, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, uh, that's you know, some people are texters and and others aren't. So exactly. And so our volunteers, our peer mentors, who we call guides, um, are trained to ask what's going to be most comfortable for you. And sometimes women, uh, we've had women from Brainer come to the cities to meet their sister, see their family, and. Then they'll connect for a cup of coffee. Um, so it just is, it has to be organic and meet the needs of the woman who's seeking support. And um, in terms of, uh, Elizabeth, your experience, how, how much contact did you have with your is it mentor? Is that the correct term? Uh, yeah, with, yep, with my guide. Okay, uh, okay. In, my, in my experience, so for me, I really wanted to talk to her prior to my surgery. So for me, it started through email, and then we had a phone call or two, and then another email, and then we met at a social event that Firefly Sisterhood gave this past summer. We just met for the first time. But for me, in terms of the support I was seeking, I really just wanted some information prior to the surgery. 
And so for me, for me, it was just a, a phone call or two. And then I, w- I was good with what I needed. Uh, some matches can go, you know, four or five months even, or as long as, as the support seeker would like. Got it. So it was, it was just what I needed. Okay. And, and so for you, it was this, this issue of the surgery, which obviously is, is a, you know, yes. a, a huge step. And actually yes. it's, it's, you know, I, I don't know if you were in this position, but sometimes they give you these options. I've had friends who've had the oh. options of just the lumpectomy or do they get the double mastectomy or the, you know, the single and it, and it's, it, it, it's overwhelming. I'm not sure yes. that I, any of them knew about Firefly, uh, but was that, is that sort of what you were struggling with? Yes, you know, exactly. So for me, I had a strong family history. So I knew right away I wanted a double mastectomy. Uh, so, but my issue was I really did not want to reconstruct. And I had not met a single woman around my age group or in my community that hadn't chosen, that had chosen that path. So when I was calling Firefly, it was specifically because I wanted to chat with a woman that had chosen that option for herself and um, just to see how that was for her. And I kind of went in knowing what I would like to do and just hearing that other voice saying, this is what I did and this is how it worked for me was exactly what I needed to just clarify my own decision making. Right. And I think and I guess I guess it's sort of uh, a testament to how far we've come that you know that that these choices are available. Right. Um right. really. I mean when you think about it, but I think it's very difficult and and I'm old enough to remember uh that you know I remember my mother some of my mother's friends getting breast cancer and it's almost as if it was sort of whispered, you know, we didn't you know it, it just was and it's very difficult to, to really understand that now. But I mean, literally, right. it's because it was involved the breasts that people didn't talk about it. Exactly. And um, it was just, you know, something almost um, sort of in, in, in the background. Um, listen, uh, one of the things I, I did want to ask is how do you decide who gets paired up with who as a guide? Uh, maybe, Chris, you can answer that. Like, for instance, I've yeah. got, I know some former coworker who's a, young woman in her 30s who you know who's a new mother who's you know been diagnosed and i mean how do you sort of cuz breast cancer can hit people really at any stage of their lives and it's obviously difficult no matter what stage of life you're in well we um we actually do matching um on three sort of first criteria age your treatment and then your life experience So exactly, you have a friend who's young, 35, has young kids. We have 190 trained volunteers. So our ability to match on two or three criteria is pretty strong because we have this big pool. So um, we go in, we take that interview. We've also already done that with all of our volunteers. So we have all of their treatment histories and things and then. We kind of look for that other stuff that doesn't always show up. So, for example, we matched two women, and we knew in there was stuff that they were both knitters. And they oh, called and said, <laughs> how did you, we're, we, oh, my gosh, we're knitters, and we bit it off well. Well, that's sort of our secret sauce because we, we take time to get to know everybody who comes through our program. So, and. So far, that's been 500 people in three years. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and I, but I would imagine sort of the, the knitting thing or else, you know, if you do have children that are elementary school or middle school, I mean, 
I bet. How do you how do you talk to your children? What do you tell them? Yeah, um, what what would I, I know? I know people who've been worried about the impact on them that the children would be worried. Or how, how do you you know deal with the, the partner or the husband? Um, or, or do you get into those kinds of issues as well? Oh, absolutely. We get in. Um, I think in our recent evaluation, the the top ones for you know talking about what's this treatment feel like, just like Elizabeth's story. Um, emotional support. How do I deal with my family? Um, one of the other things is how do I go back to work? Um, so we have a gamut of what people need, and that's why we do that intake interview because that lets us get under the just the superficials. I'm stage two. I'm having this. Blah blah blah. It gives us like what's really going on, you know. So and then we can find somebody who may have had teenagers, and how do you deal with a teenage daughter when you're having a double mastectomy? That's um, <laughs> I, I can't begin to imagine because it's hard enough in, in regular circumstances to deal with teenagers or to deal with small children or else even, you know, I'm sure that even with adult children, that that could be such a source of anxiety. Um, ladies, I have to take a quick break, but I would like to continue the conversation because uh, I'm sure there are people who are listening who want to get in touch with you. And also maybe they want to become volunteers as well. So keep it here, folks. We're talking with two ladies uh, from the Firefly Sisterhood. It is a volunteer organization that helps guide and mentor people who are going through the, the process, the journey of getting the diagnosis of breast cancer and then coming out the other end, uh, trying to figure out how to deal with family and friends and life and get that kind of support that they it is uh, 66 degrees, 649 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Do want to let you folks know that uh, we are keeping an eye on the Gopher football game at Purdue. Uh, the score is 16-14. They have been in a pretty extensive lightning delay, uh, just under 10 minutes le- uh, left. But the the Gophers are trailing that game, 16-14. We will give you a final when it happens. It's still play is still not resumed, though. Uh, right now, though, we are chatting with Chris, Chris Newcomer and Elizabeth Hayes. They are two ladies who are with Firefly Sisterhood. It is a volunteer organization that helps mentor and guide people who are going through breast cancer diagnoses and helping they match up uh, somebody who's been through breast cancer with somebody who has just, just been diagnosed or is just facing surgery or whatever stage they're at to kind of like – be able to talk them through it and explain, hey, this is what happened to me and this is what you might want want to know. Um, Chris, let me ask you, there are probably people out there who are thinking, hey, I, I um, well, you know, went through breast cancer. I'd like to volunteer. What, what would you have to say to them? Oh, we lost Chris. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Elizabeth, what, can, what, can you sure, answer can that, answer question? that question? Absolutely. So we do guide training several times a year, and they would still need to reach out to our website, which is fireflysisterhood.org, and fill out the information. And then there would be an informational interview, just like how we would interview a support seeker as well, just to see how, uh, just to hear their story about um, their background so that we can match them correctly with a support seeker. Okay, and, and, and then and then, and then they would the go training. through a training. And how much training is there? It's a three-hour training with a, a catered lunch or a catered lunch or dinner from Panera. So oh. it's it's a nice a nice um, time to meet other uh, other breast cancer survivors and to kind of go through the training. And then there is some ongoing training that you're required um, throughout the year as kind of a continuing ed, so to speak. 
All right. And, and Chris, uh, thank you. I'm sorry, I don't know how we lost you there, but we got you back. That's what counts. Um, what Do you need other – could you use other volunteers uh, oh, to serve as guides? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we really um, – we, we lose about 10 to 15 per year, and some people are just sort of saying, okay, I've done it for three years. So we are always looking for volunteers. Mm-hmm. We do our trainings quarterly, um, and we try to do one on – sort of the west side of the river and then the east side of the river. Um, but they have to be in person. Um, manda- it's mandatory to be in person because that's the way we get to know you. Right. And, and you obviously want somebody who's got it, – it's it's got to be somebody who uh, – you know, these are not you know professional counselors, but you've got to have somebody who I can clearly do this job because um, right. this is a pretty tricky situation. It is. And we've actually had women go through our training – thinking they were ready. And after our training, they come up and say, I'm not ready. I'm going to come back in six months. Oh, really? Because so, I mean, it's yeah. it's to revisit that can't mm-hmm. be easy as well. Although I imagine some people, I mean, Elizabeth, he says you, you've both been served, you know, and gotten the help, but then you're also providing it. I mean, is it helpful to you? Or, or is it sometimes painful to, to revisit that? that? You know what? For me, it's absolutely helpful. Once you've been through that experience, at least in my in my experience, I absolutely wanted to help right away. Even in that initial phone call with with Jenny when I was seeking support, I knew I wanted to be a guide. I knew I wanted to offer it to other to other women going through these experiences. So for me, it it wasn't painful. It was something I very much wanted to do. I, and I imagine it might even be empowering. Absolutely, absolutely. You know that that you're sort of owning this and 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 using your experience as difficult and you know painful as right. it was to help somebody else. I think I think everybody feels good when they can do that. Yes, it's an overwhelming experience, and you learn so much through the process that to help others through their own process is very empowering. That's a great word for it, um, Chris. Let me ask you um, in terms of. Um, this program, is there anything else like it or was this modeled after something? There are a couple of programs in other parts of the country. Most of them are related to an academic health center or a a, a health system. We are one of the few community-based programs. And for us, that was an intentional choice because we knew we wanted to serve lots and lots of women and we needed a bigger pool then you could probably find just in one system. And so we came up as a community health a community program. And so now we have all of our health systems in the state referring to us. Um, so there's not this like, oh, it's only an Alina program or it's only a health partners. No, it's a community-based, and it doesn't matter where you get your treatment. We will serve you. And, and do people... Do the providers and the doctors know about it? I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, in some facilities here in the Twin Cities that, that really uh, do a lot of work on, you know, with breast cancer patients, I would imagine they would know about it. But how how widespread is the knowledge about the kind of services you provide? Right now, we're pretty strong in what we call sort of the 21-county metro area, including western Wisconsin. But we're starting to build um, relationships with systems outside of that sort of metro area. Um, Duluth, we get people from Duluth. We get people from Fargo, um, Marshall. So we really work in the state. I will say we we know that about 40% of our referrals, people who call and ask for support, do come from the system. So we're pretty um, well-known in all the systems 
not just the doctors, the nurses, the um, nurse practitioners, the infusion nurses, the therapists, kind of all the way down. Right. And is there, you know, is there any thought, um, you know, that, 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 I mean, it sounds like such a good idea, and I think it would be so applicable for other ailments as well, or even other cancers. I mean, has anybody kind of come to you and said, God, you, you, you do such a great job, we should start it for maybe prostate cancer or, or some other form of, of cancer or ailment? Right. We've actually um, had a couple conversations with some other um, disease-specific nonprofits in the state. And one of the things, when you get to build it from scratch and you're not trying to clump it onto something else, we made a lot of decisions to make sure that our program could be easily replicated by in another city or in another disease. So it's pretty plug-and-play because we did all the heavy lifting of the complexity of building a matching system and all the con- the legal stuff you have to go through and everything. So oh, yeah, I'm- we would we would be happy to work with anybody to replicate it. All right. And again, how can people find you? Whether they might want to volunteer, whether they know somebody, or maybe they need the help as well. How can people find you? Uh, the, the best way is just to go to fireflysisterhood.org and click get support or set, contact us, send us an info at or leave a message on our office phone, which is 952-582-2972, and we'll get back to you um, on Monday. Okay, well, 952-582-2972, and, yeah. and the cost is perfect. It's free. Yeah, it's free. It's, it's absolutely, we have some amazing donors and supporters in the community, so um, we don't want cost to be a barrier to anyone okay. to use our services. Well, Chris and Elizabeth, thank you so much. Uh, again, it's Firefly Sisterhood, a wonderful organization, great information, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank all, you so much. All right, folks, keep it here. News Radio 830 WCCO. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.